The Employees Retention Credit, also known as ERTC, under the CARES Act, encourages businesses that have been financially impacted by COVID-19 to keep employees on their payroll. Businesses, including law firms, can do a look-back on their payroll during the pandemic and retroactively claim the credit by filing an amended tax return. I'm Lee Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media and author of Beyond Se Habla Español, How Lawyers Win the Hispanic Market, and this is In Camera Podcast, where we know that law firms should apply for ERTC. Podcast Private Legal Marketing Conversations. Great. So nice to see you. Welcome back. Thanks, Leo. How are you today? I'm doing great, Grace. It's really nice to see you. It's the first time that we actually talk since thanks. Well, since before Thanksgiving, but you know, it's just that time of the year, right? That we're already into the holiday period. So I hope you had a great holiday. I sure did. I hope you did as well. Yes, I certainly did, Grace. And, you know, thrilled that it's December. And when I say thrilled, it's kind of like I really don't know how to feel about the, the, the speed in which this year just flew by us. I mean, this is just crazy. I don't I don't think I've ever felt a year gone by so quickly. And I'll take that as a good sign, right? It means that a lot of uh, good things have happened. Time was, you know, well used. And let's just hope that 2023 is an even better year. But Grace, before we head into all of that, because this is actually a great conversation, the one we're having today about getting ready for the next year, strategizing for your law firm and for your business. And so I will let you go ahead and introduce one of our favorite guests here in this show, who's a big friend and a real, real resource for legal information and business planning, I would say. So go ahead, introduce, so we can jump right into the conversation. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a fantastic person today who is a become a friend of mine as well. Um, and you've heard him on the podcast before. Um, he's a partner at the Lake Law Firm, and that is Michael Blom. As a partner at the Lake Law Firm, Michael Blom focuses on personal injury, pharmaceutical drug injury, medical device liability, and mass tort litigations. Litigations Mr. Blom has worked on include Philips CPAP, Paraquat, Baby Formula NEC, Elmeron, amongst quite a few others. He has also worked with attorneys nationwide on mass tort case acquisition and co-counseling services. In addition to that, as Liel was mentioning, he has worked with business owners to rec recover refundable tax credits through the Employee Retention Tax Credit Program. He's received the National Trial Lawyers Top 40 Under 40, Civil Plaintiff Recognition for 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022, ladies and gentlemen. He's one of the rising stars, as you can see. Um, he's also admitted to the New York State Bar, Third Department, U.S. District Court for Southern and Eastern Districts of New York, and the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit. Michael, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to In Camera Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Grace and Leo. Looking forward to it. It's a real pleasure to have you here, Michael. And as I was just saying right before we uh, heard your very impressive bio, is that there is a, a topic, right, that right now is or sh should be 
top of mind on all business owners, and that is the potential to qualify for an employee retention credit. And so a few months ago, Michael, you were here and you very, very briefly touched over the surface on this topic. And we'd like to dive in more into it on this conversation, but not just only learn about it, also understand why is it important to take action and how is it that uh, you and the Lake Law Firm can help business owners? And it's important that we define here that this both goes, if I understand correctly, for law firms and other types of businesses to leverage this incentive. So, Michael, take us away. Explain, first of all, what is this tax credit? How does it work? When did it originate? Just give us a good background information on it. Sure. Uh, so the employee retention tax credits are refundable tax credit against certain employee wages uh, that an employer makes between a certain time period. So that time period is March 12th, 2020 through September 30th, 2021. So that's quarter two, 2020 through quarter three 2021 at six total quarters. It was a credit authorized as part of the CARES Act to encourage companies to keep their employees on the payroll during the pandemic. Um, so with that, there's two different types of uh, credit amounts, I would say. In 2020, um, you can qualify for up to $5,000 per full-time W-2 employee. And in 2021, there's three different quarters that you can qualify for up to $7,000 per quarter in each of those three. So $21,000 overall, you can qualify for up to $26,000 per full-time W-2 employee through this employee retention tax. So it sounds here like the qualifiers are that anyone that has been an employee at your law firm or your business prior to the pandemic, and there is still an employee nowadays, or up until the date that you've mentioned, right? That could be second quarter 2021. That can make you eligible for a tax credit. Now, the first question that comes to mind from my end is like, what happens if that person did work indeed throughout the pandemic in your business? And then some, maybe another couple of quarters in into 2021. Are, are you still eligible for that tax credit if that person in present times is no longer part of your organization? That's right. So it's calculated based on 2019. So, you know, if they were with the company in 2019, it's matched against 2020. Did you retain that employee in 2020? You know, in those three quarters, uh, were one of those quarters that you can claim up the $5,000. And then did you retain that employee in the three quarters of 2021? They don't have to be employed through all those quarters. It would just be pro rata, basically, on the quarters that you would qualify for. And if they're no longer with the company, you can still qualify that employee as long as they were um, employed during some point of those six quarters. That's correct. Basically, what is being said here is that those that qualify, it's it's the individuals that you kept because of the pandemic and you still kept them during that time frame that you're stating. And so, you know, it could be anybody that had full-time W-2 employees during those periods. Um, I did want to ask Michael, um, can you give us a little bit more information on the, um, the sense of urgency that there is behind this, right? Because you said the first quarter, uh, the 2021 is going to expire soon, right? In June. 
So to get like the most credit you possibly can, shouldn't they, you know, within the next month or two file, you know, or as soon as possible? How, how will that affect that basically? We recommend our clients to file as soon as possible. That's right. There is a three-year statute of limitation. So the first one that's coming up is in 2023 uh, in, in the middle of that. And then they expire every three months thereafter for the other quarters. But of course, you know, IRS regulations and things can change. So we would encourage employers to apply for this immediately um, so they can get the maximum credit, which is available right now. And while there's been a large fund uh, allocated to this and that, you know, continues to decrease. Um, so the idea is to, you know, submit the claim while the fund still has all of the monies there before there may need to be some type of, uh, you know, adjustment within the government to fund even more, uh, depending on the number of claims that are submitted. Great that you're pointing that out. Good question, Grace, uh, because basically your eligible potential grant or recovery what what's the right name of calling to this i mean recovery. it's a credit but it, it's a credit but do will the government ever come back to you and say hey it's time to pay back or or is this comparable to the uh, payroll protection program which was forgiven to most of businesses what's the best way to see or regard this this credit uh yes it is called a credit but you know it's not it's not truly a credit that you get on your taxes it's a check that the irs then mails the business and they can cash that check and use it for whatever they want that does not have to be paid back and even companies that took out draw one or draw two of ppp can still qualify it's just reduced for those quarters that they took out the ppp um there is always a uh, audit risk uh, with the irs so they of course, look at, you know, higher submissions versus lower ones that are made through the ERC uh, with more scrutiny. They can come back and um, do a desktop audit is the first type where we would, and we represent clients uh, for free with this uh, audit protection, we call it. Um, so there's no charge to them. And that would be to submit all, all of the calculations, how we came across to those numbers and submit that to the IRS. Usually the, that resolves the audit. If it goes to a full audit, uh, we also uh, do that with attorneys at no cost. Um, that chance is very low. Um, I'm told it's you know under 1% to 2% total for an audit. And yes, if you do have to send money back, um, the, the company would have to send that back, and we also reduce our attorney's fee pro rata for any amount that needs to be sent back. But we haven't had that come up. With that being said, you're talking here attorney fees and such. So let's get into that. Why would a business would or should consider planning on getting any of this credit back? Why should they consider doing it through a law firm like yours? There's a couple different reasons. So number one, it's a tax deductible contingency fee that we only take at the end after the business owner has received the check from the IRS and cashed it. We then invoice them. Uh, which is great because with accounting firms and other payroll companies, they usually require a substantial fee up front, and you don't get that back based on what type of um, refund you may get back from the IRS. Also, uh, complete audit protection, you would have to pay for that separately um, from uh, payroll companies and accounting firms. And then also, the really the main one is how, uh, as a law firm, we can qualify um, to get the maximum recovery for all six quarters. Uh, so there's been a lot of talk in the space that 
CPAs and accounting firms, payroll companies, they haven't notified their clients of this ERTC program that it exists, or if it does exist, they tell their client that they don't qualify when in fact they can qualify, or they may try and qualify them and they don't obtain the maximum amount. And that's for a number of different reasons. Um, one is that they're relying primarily on a, a straight line revenue drop test. So if your revenue dropped 50% uh, or more in 2020 as compared to a quarter in 2019, you can qualify for that credit under that revenue drop test. Um, 2021 is a 20% drop as compared to 2019. Most businesses, many businesses, uh, had increased revenue uh, during the pandemic for a variety of different reasons. So they actually wouldn't qualify for, you know, all of the quarters or most of the quarters. So it would be a very little recovery. That's what accounting firms and payroll companies are primarily relying on. The other way to qualify for this credit is through the governmental mandate test, which is if the business was affected at a local, state, or federal level in a more than nominal way, and you can tie that back to the business's activities in those six quarters, you can also qualify. And that's where we come in as a law firm, that we're able to look at these issues, perform a legal analysis once we do a in-depth 45-minute uh, interview with the client to make those arguments why the business was affected with those mandates, how their activities and business, um, you know, was was really you know, taken aback by the pandemic and they weren't able to perform in the same way that they were able to, but for the whole pandemic. So, and there's mandates, of course. So Michael, just confirming here what I'm, what I'm hearing you say, um, the qualifiers, or at least from an accounting standpoint, are pretty black and white. If you generated more money during the pandemic than you did in prior years, you're disqualified, you're done. But you're broadening up the criteria here by looking at, well, it's not just the money, but there could have been other types of impacts that interfered with your way of running your business. And we would be looking into that. Now, I know some people here listening to this, they might be a little bit skeptical about all of this and, and, and think, well, I don't, I don't think I can, you know, we did end up turning a, a higher revenue the, the couple of years after the pandemic. And I just don't see how this could potentially be applicable to me. Would you still encourage them to, to reach out and have a conversation with your team? Yes, it's completely risk-free um, and no fee. So we, we perform the whole consultation at no cost and let them know if they likely qualify at the onset before engaging the client. Um, once they get the retainer agreement, we go over any questions they may have. And then, of course, after that time, a interview is scheduled with the business owner um, to go through uh, how their business may be affected by these mandates. And there's several ways that you can tie back, uh, you know, the mandate that may have limited the number of people in the room, may have limited uh, the operating hours, may have limited uh, various things that you can tie back to those mandates during those different quarters. That's really, really interesting. And I, you know, without asking you here to actually violate your uh, attorney-client confidentiality privileges here, would you be able to tell us about some of the maybe maybe one or two success stories that you've had in helping, I, I think law firm is the best example here to use, 
for recovering some or all of the credit that was available to them? Yeah, I mean, with law firms in particular, we're very successful in claiming these credits. Um, many of the courts across the country were shut down. Um, so right there, I mean, that's that's at the, the local, the state level that they were shut down. You couldn't go to court. You had to rely on a completely different way to resolve your cases uh, settlement-wise. Those settlements could have been pushed out. They may have been accelerated. It's it's a very, you know, a varied um, scenario what can happen. Of course, you couldn't go to trial, so you couldn't uh, get recoveries and judgments on, on those types of, you know, that you would have been able to get um, but for the, the courts being shut down. Also, you know, on not having a number of people in the office. A bunch of states had reductions on how many people you could have in a room or how long you could be open. Also, um, you know, delayed or canceled projects that you may have had at the law firm or inability to attend networking events. A lot of these conferences were shut down across the country because of local and state mandates um, that you weren't able to network and do business in the same way that you were able to uh, before these mandates were put in place. So I I want to explore just a little bit more about the qualifiers because I think that, you know, what we offer in terms of contingency, what we offer in terms of, you know, the qualifiers that we know we can kind of dig deep into what their problems were, right? And like you said, a law firm in particular could be, benefit from what we can provide as the Lake Law Firm for this particular tax credit because not only are we a law firm, um, you know, it's contingency, but also we can look at the things at the local and state level. With that being said, um, I've heard multiple times, you know, are you sure about that? Because like the PPP loan, I mean, I got tons of money or I got enough, you know, and I was fine or this, that or the other, right? When it comes to the PPP loan, there's no way I'm eligible. I made more money and I got the PPP loan. I've actually heard that very specifically. And this is someone I know said that to me. So, you know, what kind of information can you give someone that says that, right? That they're saying, hey, this, I got PPP loan and I made more money. What am I supposed to do? I, there's no way I'm going to qualify. And I know it's a little bit of a, a same question as what Liel was asking, but just slightly different and specifically about the PPP stuff, because that's where I've heard the most um, rebuttals. I would say, let's take a look, you know, in the six quarters, you may have you know, might not be able to use the straight line revenue drop test, but you can also use the governmental mandate test to qualify for those quarters. And the quarters, you know, where you took out PPP and draw one or two in 2020 and 2021, that's just a reduction in the overall award that you get from the IRS. And what we're seeing is, you know, you might not get the $26,000 max per full-time W employee, but you're likely going to get somewhere around $16,000. Um, once those PPP monies have been taken out, which is still substantial when you multiply it out for, you know, your whole staff. Michael, I want to um, uh, ask you a little bit about the, the money side of things. Does the salary of the employee, their earnings as a W-2 employee, have uh, anything to do in establishing how much you are eligible to receive per employee? Or is it standard, no matter whether they're an employee that earns five-digit salary or they're earning um, minimum wage, per right. se? Yeah, so it, it de depends on how much in qualified wages those employees were paid in those quarters. So, for example, in 2021, 
the program increased to 70% of up to $10,000 in qualified wages per employee per quarter in the, in the first, second, and third quarter. So as long as you paid your employer more than $10,000 in qualified wages and health insurance benefits, then you get 70% of that $10,000, which is $7,000 for each of those up to. Um, so if you paid them less than $10,000 in wages in those quarters, then of course you'd get 70% of that less than amount. And in 2020, it's $5,000. So as long as you paid them $5,000 in qualified wages um, or more, then you can claim the $5,000 in quarter two, three, or four. Um, it's only a one-time $5,000 credit in 2020. And it's of, oh no, sorry, it's $10,000 of qualified wages, and then you get 50%. That's what the IRS is going to provide a credit on. That's where you get the $5,000. It, it goes from 50% of 10000 in 2020 to 70% of $10,000 in 2021. Is it the same if you have um, W-2 part-time employees? As long as you are hitting those amounts, you can claim a credit or they have to be full-time employees. They have to be working 40 hours a week. Uh, so it's called a full-time equivalency test, uh, which is uh, 30 or more hours uh, per week as a full-time W-2 employee. So you can add up all of the hours that people work, divide that by the number of employees, and then come up with a um, it's good. It's a, on average, um, what you know, how many employees you have over that 30, 30 hour per week threshold, and it, and other two, uh, you know, two important notes. It needs to be five hundred or less uh, W two employees that are full time in twenty twenty one, and under one hundred or less full time W two employees in twenty twenty to claim those two different uh, credits. Um, and it's all businesses that can apply, um, including 5013C nonprofit organizations. Michael, how long does it take this process? Like from the moment that somebody reaches out to you, you have the consultation, things do look like they have potential. What Can you walk us down a little bit of the process and uh, what is the, the, the timeline that one should expect to in going through this cycle? The most difficult part is the initial uh, document collection, just getting the financial documents, which include the 941s from 2019 through 2021, profit and loss statements, the PPP applications, uh, things like that uploaded into a portal. But once we have that from the business owner or the business, and um, we work you know, outside the business owner, maybe their accounting department that gets us that information, once we have that, it's a fairly quick turnaround between two to four weeks to work up the claim, um, have everything reviewed, submitted to the IRS, and then it's waiting um, from the IRS, usually between three to eight months, um, can go up to 12 or more that we're seeing, but in the three to eight range now, <clears throat> there's really no telling, uh, you know, businesses that submitted their claims a year ago, some are still waiting on those credits, some that recently submitted their applications have already received those credits. Um, so it just depends. It's a large backlog at the IRS, but they are working through the claims. I do kind of want to add to that because from our side, the process could be as quick as a couple weeks or it could take as long as 
you know, as long as it takes you to get us the documents that we require to file with the IRS. So the sooner that you file, the sooner that you provide us rather the documents that we need for the analysis and we're able to process the claim, the quicker that you are in queue to get the monies, right? Um, just like Michael was saying previous though, um, you know, the higher disbursements will of course be looked at potentially more um, in depth or a little more in, um, little more take a little more time because it's a larger disbursement but that's just kind of the way the irs works as we all know um but with that being said the quicker that you sign a retainer the quicker that you can get the documents over to us and we process it the faster that you get into queue to get the the monies um and as michael was mentioning sometimes it could be as quickly as you know within a month right with the irs it just depends um, but they are processing it and they've definitely stepped up. I've noticed on the processing because I've seen some claims just getting processed pretty quickly. Um, I don't know, no rhyme or reason that I've seen so far, but, you know, other than the kind of caveats I was mentioning, which is, you know, larger disbursements or, you know, something with not like very specific items that you can tell easily, like he was saying, straight line revenue drop versus maybe um, a more of a legal analysis on it. So I did want to mention that because I think it's important that people realize that the quicker they can get documents over, it's the same with your taxes, right? But this, the quicker you can get documents over, the quicker you can get in line to get your check. Great. As I know Michael's been mentioning here a few of the documents that are likely to be needed in order to process the claim. But, you know, just to clear out any doubts about how hard are these documents to get or to sort out or to put together, can you just name or list the most common documents that are are going to be needed to, to file this? Because I'm assuming this should be pretty readily available for most business owners. Yes, that's such a good point. Thank you for bringing that up, Liel, because, you know, as I'm saying, you need to have these documents, you need to submit them. It's always a concern. It's a pain in the neck. It's the last thing anyone wants to hear, right? right? It's like sort out documentation. It, such a nightmare. It is a pain, right, for most people. But this is such a straight kind of forward process in terms of the documents that are required that your bookkeeper, your accountant, or you should have it in your payroll system. And it's fairly easy to get a hold of. So the document that you need is the Form 941. Is that correct, um, Michael? I believe so. Is that Form 941? Yes. Okay. So Form 941, which is your payroll document that you have to file regardless. So it's one of those things that you should have as long as your books are clean and straight, which <laughs> I'd say most U.S. business owners have that stuff already done and filed. So as long as you've got that documentation, that's the main document that you need. The rest we help you with anyway, right, when it comes to statements or if you have a PPP loan that you did, I would make sure you have those documents, which you had to put all those documents together anyway to get the PPP loan. So this is really just that Form 941 in particular. If you have that, that will get us started almost right away. Um, the rest of it is fairly simple to get a hold of. Like I said, it's more like statements and checking and reviewing and all of that. But that pay that payroll document, that Form 941 will definitely get you started and almost done within, you know, a couple weeks because once you have it, we're good to go. Great. That's, uh, you know, I guess music to everyone's ears because the last thing you want to do, especially, you know, coming from a place where we talk so much about masters and such, where you know, the collection of paperwork and evidence is that it's such a nightmare that it's 
up to a certain extent a relief to hear that for this particular process is actually not complex at all. Now, Michael, before we move into takeaways, I just want to ask you one more time. You did mention the very, very slight risk to an audit that may exist that may put into question your claim to the credit. But aside of that, are there any other downsizes, downsides to moving forward with this claim because i know a lot of people you know are uh potentially thinking well you know what at the end of the day we did get a ppp loan and quite frankly we did not really need it and so you know we we were able to keep the money and fine but i i feel that going after another credit would be kind of like stretching things out is there really a risk in doing this or is this an opportunity that the, that business owners should leverage in the same way that other bigger corporations leverage other uh, tax incentives that the government puts in front of them in order to grow and bring shareholder value? Yeah, it was, it's an opportunity for the business owner to recover, you know, for keeping their employees on during the pandemic and to recover uh, those monies that they lost during that time uh, for keeping their, it was a very difficult time. This, this still is, but in particular, those two years where this, you know, credit qualifies for, um, and that's, that's what the IRS wants businesses to do. They've allocated a, a giant fund. Um, as long as you submit the correct documentation, you get the monies. It's all based on uh, calculations and they encourage businesses to apply for it uh, because they deserve uh, that money back. So um, I did want to ask you a little bit about <clears throat> referrals, Michael. Um, you know, what if I know somebody that needs this? You know, I'm not a business owner, but I know another business owner. Um, how would I get a hold of you? Like, should I still contact you? You know, tell me a little bit about referrals, please. Yes, uh, attorney referrals are great all the time. We also do non-attorney referrals in certain circumstances. Um, so I would encourage anyone listening, if you have business owners um, I encourage you to, you know, reach out to them, see if they've applied for this credit yet, if they're interested. If they are, you can put them in touch with that with us, and we can explore those opportunities. Um, also, for the attorneys listening, um, a lot of your clients, former clients, and also leads are business owners um, in your own database, so you can reach out to those uh, strategically um, through different forms of communication and see if they've applied, too. And, you know, put us in touch with those business owners and we can discuss those opportunities, uh, referring cases to us as well. Right. That's such a good point, Grace, because as you know, we've mentioned also during the opening, while obviously one of the industries in which you have developed a, a big strength and expertise is going to be the legal industry. There's basically the same rules apply for every other business. So there is a, a, a big opportunity here for you also to, to help maybe even your clients, right? If your clients uh, happen to be business owners and such, this is a great service that you can do for them to help them become aware about this opportunity and give them access to it. So uh, really, really great point. And then obviously we'll make sure that we have here both Michael contact details and the Lake Law Firm contact details so that it's easy for you to initiate your consultation with them and establish this partnership. So you've been a guest in this podcast before, Michael, and you know that we really, really like to wrap things up with actionable takeaways, right? 
And while this conversation has one that is very clear and specific, let's look into some of the reasons why would it make sense to consider and moving forward with an application for employee retention credit at this point, at the end of 2022? I would say taking into account that things can change in the future with the government, the IRS fund, that they may have to um, obtain additional funding on the number of claims that are submitted over the next uh, months and year plus, the time would be now to have your claim reviewed and submitted to the IRS. And so you can also reinvest that money into your business. Um, The longer that you wait, you're not able to use that money and reinvest to your business to grow it even further. That's such a good point, the one that you're making there. And Grace, I know you you were going to say something in here. So... No, I mean, I, I'm nodding, you know, I know you can't hear me or see me nodding on the podcast, but yes, I'm nodding because, you know, the, the point is the quicker that you file, the quicker the money's going to get to you, the quicker you're in the queue and the quicker you can actually grow your firm or business by using the money, right? And reinvesting it. If you're eligible to it. Yes, I mean, you're eligible. This course. money is not generating, correct. If, if you're not generating any interest by having this money sitting there, in the IRS found, right? Until until you don't get it, you don't get it and you cannot use it. Like you could actually put this money to work for you, for your law firm, the sooner you, you get your hands on it. And, and from what Michael is saying here, I mean, it's not, these amounts are not likely to increase. If anything, it's going to decrease and your window of getting the maximum available credit is actually narrowing down. And already uh, in the first quarter of next year, the first quarter of credit is going to be out of the question. So I 100% see uh, a lot of value in moving forward with it now. Now, uh, Grace, you know, what are some good uses that people who actually get this credit should should consider uh, doing with this money, right? Because for, for many, for a lot of people that have not really been counting on this, or from the southern, you know, depending on how many employees they have, this is this is a, a considerable amount of money, providing you know that several of their team members have been around and maybe are still around since before COVID nineteen. So I actually I was asked that um, by a law firm that we were working with on this, and you know my suggestion was reinvest in your firm and including marketing, right? So if you've always wanted to get into mass torts. This is the money to do that with because you were not expecting it, right? You weren't, this is not, this is almost found money, right? At this point, because again, it's not something that you had on your balance sheet as I need to make this money. I need to get this money. I need to use it for X. It's not allocated at the moment. So unless you already know that this is coming down the pipe and you already have it allocated, I would suggest reinvesting in your firm um, to use this money to buy mass towards or open up a practice area that you have always been interested in, or even more marketing in terms of pay-per-click and other things that you can invest. If you wanted to, you've always tried to get into the Spanish legal marketing, you know, give Liel a call. Like those are the things that I believe you need to do with the money that you weren't expecting in particular. And of course, I'm going to say, you know, get mass towards from us because that's what I think you should do when you have money that you're not expecting and you can afford to lose, basically, right? I mean, we don't go into investments expecting we're going to lose. 
But you have to have that in the back of your mind. So that's why when I tell people, when you want to invest in mass torts, under the expectation, of course, knowing what we know about mass torts and what we've talked about here, reinvest yeah. in your company, reinvest in your firm, and reinvest using the money for marketing, yeah. whether it's mass torts or something yeah. else. Yeah, totally. And even in masters, Grace, as you're saying, right, there are masters that are very solid and seem very likely to be good returns and investments, but there's always going to be wild cards when it comes down to masters. Okay. And those ones can actually be a terrific return on investment, but they're also account for a higher risk. And so just like with any other type of investment that you're doing, um, you should just play it safe in a st from a standpoint that Part of your money goes for investments that are pretty solid, have a good track record, and seem to be on the right track to generate you a predictable return on investment, right? Whatever that means. And then a part of it or a portion of it, you're going to put it into something that your intuition is just telling you. This is something that I feel it's worth investing and I want to give it a try, even though I know it's a bigger gamble to take. And so I think obviously having all from the sudden an amount of money that you can that you can actually use for these sort of investments puts you in a very privileged position of uh, being able to further di diversify your your sources of uh, or revenue. Now, uh, Michael, I do want to ask you, right? Because one thing that you've made it very clear throughout the conversation is that even though it's called a credit, it's not a credit, it's a check that you get, but it is from the IRS. So will you have to pay taxes on this, on this extra payment that you're getting from the government? That's correct. It is taxable. And we uh, okay. recommend to our clients and you know, potential clients as well to reach out to their tax advisors to discuss that as a separate yeah. conversation. Yeah, I think that's super important to take that into consideration, right? Because obviously, you know, this could mean increase in your revenues for for the year so that's another reason why you may want to do it now maybe maybe this year is the right time to actually uh get it i don't know if there is enough time uh, michael from what grace is saying here sometimes it can take less than a month sometimes it can go for a little bit longer but hey the sooner you you take action the more benefit you're gonna have with regards or control you're gonna have about making that decision when when does it make sense to you to actually get this money. And if, if anyway, it's early 2023, then great. This is a time to take action for it, to actually get the money in early 2023 and put that money to work throughout the year. So you'll get the most out of it. Michael, what can I say? So great to have you here. Really, really great insights. You know, I think it's right in this month where people are really looking back, taking record of everything that's been happening in this year and starting to plan for the next one. And I think it makes so much sense to consider these opportunities that are starting to become more scarce and also where you're going to be limiting the eligibility to get a maximum credit. So thank you so much for, you know, reminding us about this opportunity. So we hope to, to get you back here sometime soon so we can have other conversations, particularly there's so much to talk about masters that uh, we'd love to have your input and insights on what's been going on there. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I hope we get to see you again soon and stay safe until then. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Thanks, guys. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe Tell your co-workers, leave us a review, 
and send us your questions at ask at incamerapodcast.com. We'll see you next week. Thank you.